Have you ever encountered something poisonous? Anybody ever encountered a poisonous thing? One time, Ashley and I were hiking and we did, uh, anybody ever been to Benton Falls up in Chilhowee? So you can do that. And so uh, we were much younger. Uh, this was back, uh, this was pre-marriage days. So this is uh, many years ago. And uh, we decided to climb the waterfalls. Anybody ever try to do that? That's fun. Um, I would never do that now because pain um, and uh, falling would not, I wouldn't recover as well, I don't think. But we were climbing. We're getting up there. We're, we're at this one part of the ledge where if you, you have to kind of slide over to get to the next part to go up to the next part. And Ashley's on this side of me and uh, she's scooting along. And uh, I was kind of watching her and she's just about to put her hand up here as she's climbing up and I grab her and pull her back over with me nice and carefully. Right where she was grabbing was a copperhead sitting there sunning. And she was this close to just kind of resting her hand right on it. And we realized at that point, wow, we shouldn't do this anymore. <laughs> so uh, is it a dangerous thing to run into a venomous animal, to run into something that's poisonous or venomous? Absolutely. This passage tells us that there are those who will bring you, uh, there, there are those who will bring you the gospel and there are those who will poison the message of the gospel. They're driven by Satan and will use anything from the world to accomplish this. And these two groups are divided against each other. Turn with me to Acts chapter 14. I'm gonna start reading in verse one. It says, now at, at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So Paul, they got uh, driven out of uh, city in Antioch, but they don't stop preaching the gospel. They continue in their mission. Uh, they continue on their mission with the gospel on their lips. And Iconium is, is the next major city that they get to. And so they enter into the synagogue. Okay, why on earth would they do this? What just happened, right? They just had to leave a town because they preached the gospel in the synagogue and the Jewish people, the religious ones got really mad, right? And they hated, they could drive them out and they were gonna uh, hurt them. So they, they, they had to leave. They dusted the feet off their shoes against them as they left. We can clearly see that dusting their feet off did not turn their effort to share the gospel away from all Jewish people. So they didn't say, okay, since, the, since these religious people rejected us here, we're never talking to them again. They just said, we're not gonna continue trying to fight for those who utterly reject it. We had this conversation in the life group about, about what this meant. So this past Monday, we were meeting at my house and hanging out and talking and discussing this. And in fact, this was one of my favorite times we met because we didn't get to any of the stuff we had planned. We got to sit there and just discuss this one question, what it meant to dust your feet off against something. We talked through this a lot. Even when you dust your feet off, your ministry is not done with others, right? So you're dusting your feet off. If, so, if, if God says, hey, if you've come to a point where somebody has rejected your message, you say, okay, I have to be done with this. Walking away does not mean you stop ministering to anyone. It means that you can stop this pursuit of this one, right? But you also have to remember that God might not be done pursuing them with someone else, right? Okay, so... They entered the synagogue, they go they rinse and repeat, right? So they have this, this struggle in Antioch, but then they go to, uh, to Iconium and they, they do the same thing. They go to the synagogue first and they preach. They spoke in such a way. What way is this? I think this is the same way that Paul spoke to the Corinthian church. We see it in 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse one. And I, when I came to you brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was, and I was with you 
in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of, of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul's telling the church at Corinth, hey, there's a reason I didn't come to you with all this big stuff. Because then your faith would be in something powerful that a man could create and your faith and man will always fail. What wisdom and power do we look for in great messages today? Do we look for that which man can manipulate or that which only God can accomplish? Do we put the greatest praise in something that people do or in that which only God can do? What has the biggest part in our heart? So they speak in such a way. So Paul is preaching this powerful message of the gospel and a great number of Jews and Gentiles believe. You see, this is one of the miracles of the gospel. It doesn't recognize human divides. There are no generational barriers for the gospel. There are no cultural barriers for the gospel. And in fact, the only way we can see those barriers erased inside of the church today is if we continue in the gospel, right? Because where do we find the greatest unity? At the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because there, there is no longer division among us. There's just broken people that Christ saved. That's it. In fact, at the foot of the cross, we find greater unity than we could ever find in any other place in the world. I have more unity with someone I'm not related to, but that is also a Christ follower than I have with a relative that doesn't know Christ. Do you know that? If the Bible's true, I should have greater unity there than even with people who I was born related to, because this is a new creation that Christ has made inside of us, right? And a family we've all been adopted to and a kingdom that we've become citizens of. So this is why these Jews and Gentiles, people who should hate each other, are both coming to the same saving faith in Jesus Christ because the gospel breaks these divides. So as they believed, it means to believe to the extent of complete trust and reliance. I want to focus on this just for a second. Do you have that kind of faith in Jesus? Complete trust and reliance in him. Do you have faith? God gave me some cool opportunities the past couple of weeks to just share the gospel with a few people. It's been, um, it was just, again, his timing. And um, it was a really cool thing, just opportunities that came up that I, I, I wasn't necessarily pursuing. And God just kind of said, here's a chance. In sharing, I was reminded that many have claimed belief in a Christ that they don't truly trust or submit to. They act religious but their hearts don't belong to God. Does anybody understand that you can attend church for even many years and not know Christ as your savior? In fact, it, when you see surveys done, uh, the number goes up to about 50% of church goers don't have saving faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, this would happen though. We see this in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I want us to understand something about the gospel. Jesus saves us as a free act of grace and there's nothing, nothing, nothing you can do to earn it or deserve it or to keep it, right? It is something that he keeps for you. That is the power of Jesus Christ. If your thought is I'm gonna go to heaven and say, Jesus, remember all those things I did. Those will not be enough. In fact, those aren't even part of the equation, right? The equation is only, do you have sinned? Do you not? How many people in here have sinned? Some like to lie on church. Okay, it's fine. Uh, yes, we've all sinned, right? So how do I not have sin if I already have sin? Only by Jesus Christ. By him saying, by my be trusting in him for salvation, that his goodness would cover me because I don't have enough goodness. It doesn't, that kind of goodness doesn't exist in me. And I can't erase my own sin, but he can. And so Jesus is saying here, there's gonna be a lot of people that come to him at, on the day of judgment, walk in and say, hey, remember all those times I went to church? You're welcome. He's gonna be like, good for you. Remember all those things that I did? Remember the times that I, 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 I said this or I spoke there, or I sang or I cleaned or I whatever? He's gonna say, sure, but I don't know you. Faith means trusting in Christ and Christ alone to save you from your sins because him, he and he alone is able to do that. And if there's nothing else you hear, even if you stop listening at this point, just look inside of your heart and say, has Christ saved me? Do I trust him to be my savior? That's it. So this amazing number of Greeks, of, 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 of Gentiles and Jewish people that should hate each other, they have nothing in common, suddenly have this amazing uh, joint experience of belief, of faith in Christ. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So the unbelieving Jews, these, these are religious people, right? And they, uh, they claimed to belong to God. In fact, they claimed to represent God. We're the ones that represent God here but they were imposters. They were wolves among God's sheep. And so while Paul and Barnabas are there sharing the gospel, these religious people are poisoning what they're hearing. It says they stirred up the Gentiles. That means to cause, to begin, and to, and to intensify an activity. So what that means is that these Gentiles weren't at first opposed to Paul or his message. They didn't listen thinking, I, I, I hate this, I don't like this. These religious people who rejected their own need for dependence upon Christ began and intensified the rejection of Paul and the gospel he preached among the Gentiles. And I can think of no more evil a thing to do. And nothing would terrify me more than for something I said or did or my attitude or my character to hinder someone from believing in Jesus Christ. It reminded me as I thought through that of Luke 17, one through four. And he said to the disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. 
It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. So these religious people were going around and with their words and their actions, they were stirring poison into these people so that they would reject the gospel. Little ones inside of the, the passage I read from uh, Jesus actually means pertaining to being of low or unimportant status. So many times we read that and we only think of kids, right? But it's not just young children. It's anyone that we intend to ignore or look down on. Anyone that could walk in and not fit who I think I should be talking to or hanging out with. Anyone who doesn't fit in my bubble. Jesus says, woe to you who causes one of them to sin. Somebody who doesn't, who's lowly or looked down on. Somebody that you think is less than you are. If by your actions you cause them sin. So this passage warns against causing anyone to sin in any way. But we must be especially careful against the only sin that is unforgivable, which is refusing belief in Christ, right? Rejection of the gospel. Can you imagine by your attitude or your actions or your words that someone says, I want nothing to do with Christ. Again, though, we see this same tactic we saw last week, right? They're creating a mob. This is the ultimate expression of gossip, slander, and sinful complaining and self-righteousness. I want to clarify this. If you're not bringing your problem, anger, or hurt to the person it involves first, you are sinning against that person and whoever you're gossiping to. Sorry if that's awkward. But what if I'm just getting advice? Who's ever said that? Anybody ever needed to get advice from 20 or 30 people before you had all it? Yeah. Did any of that advice lead you to actually having the one conversation that you're biblically required to have? If it didn't, then it was gossip. said that they poisoned their minds. This means to cause someone to have hostile feelings of dislike towards someone. I don't know if you guys know this or not. It's really easy to tear people down. Anybody know that? Like super easy. That's just not your color. <laughs> You're going out in that? It's brave. Bless your heart. Satan was using these religious people's slander to veil the gospel from these people. That's how we have to be so careful, church. Satan will use words that we intend to be kind of light or maybe even we think, I have a right to say it. Be careful how Satan will use the words you think you have a right to say. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6 says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light 
of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Satan's goal is to veil the gospel from the world. One of the ways that I think he, he uses us to do that is he will bring out the worst in church people to show to the world. Anybody ever met a mean church person? Ooh, I felt some, like there's some emotion there. Ugh. If we represent Christ as the church, if we take on his name and we say, I'm here because I I'm, I'm belong to him and our attitudes, our actions, our words represent the world, we are a hindrance of the gospel. And Satan will use that to, to tell somebody else, see, that's what those people are like and you want nothing to do with them. Church, we must guard ourselves from Satan ever using us in this way and repent of when we have led him. So the, the religious people are poisoning the minds of the Gentiles. What happens if you don't get uh, treat and rid your body of poison? Anybody knows, know what happens? It spreads and it kills. Let's read verse three. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. They remained. So here's what's interesting. They face this, uh, this battle, right? So it's, it looks almost the same as the last place in, in Antioch, right? The, they're, they're sharing the gospel. Lots of people are believing, both Gentiles and Jews, and the Jewish people are hating it. And so they're trying to stir up a mob against them. This time they remain for a while though. They remained for a long time. Why did they not shake off the dust? And I think that leads us to two questions. When do you stay? And I think we find this, and, and sorry, I don't think I have this in the, uh, your notes, Jude, but in uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 8, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. You stay when God has opened a door, even if people oppose you. And in fact, with Paul here, almost especially when you find opposition. Do you know when you're going to find the most opposition? When God's doing some of the greatest work, because that's where Satan's going to be fighting as strongly as he can. So opposition is not the reason you, you leave. When do you leave? We find this in Luke 9, verse 5. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So this is Jesus saying the same kind of wording, right? Shake the dust off your feet against them or as a testimony against them. Not when there's persecution. You leave when there is rejection of the truth. When people reject Christ. They're not rejecting you. When it's about you, that doesn't matter. Who in here has ever been rejected? Does that truly matter? in our hearts a little bit, right? But eternally, no. Eternally, the only thing that matters is when people reject Christ. So if they're rejecting you, if they're opposing you, stay. The moment people start rejecting Christ, that's when you dust your feet off. They're speaking boldly, stayed for a long time, speaking boldly. This means to speak openly about something and with complete confidence. If you're going to stay somewhere, there's only one way to do so. 
by boldly preaching the offensive gospel of our perpetual need for Jesus Christ because we need nothing else. Amen? Do we come here with other felt needs? Sure. But what do we need? Jesus. It says, so they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. It is his message, not anyone else's. Our messages don't matter. Our messages at best will simply bring division. His message will bring life. So they stayed and they boldly preached the gospel. His word for him. And, uh, and God bore witness to the word of his grace. So God confirmed this message. How through the Holy Spirit, through conviction of sin, and through true and continual change in his people, God is saying, yes, this is the gospel. God does not bear witness to anything that we've done, right? It's not that all of a sudden God's showing up saying, man, I like what Paul said there. I'm going to make sure I, let's lift him up. God is showing up in, in power, showing these people that the message of the gospel is true because only God's gospel has that kind of power. But we're really quick to go to other things, aren't we? Galatians 1, 6 through 10 says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of, of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we've preached you, let him be accursed. Have we said before, and so we say it again, if anyone preaching to you is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I still trying to please man? If I am still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. There is one gospel, one message that we have to stand on with everything in our beings, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ that he came to pay for the sins of the world and that there's salvation only in faith in him. And in that gospel, beautiful truth, we can find incredible unity. It says that God proved this or showed this or bore witness to this also by granting signs and wonders. This was not Paul and Barnabas's power. It wasn't used at their discretion. They weren't saying, hey, let me show you my magic tricks. God can and absolutely does still do impossible things today. And we should pray impossible prayers, but we should never think of God as under our command. We don't get to say, God, you have to do this now because I'm telling you to. We are not God. He is. Amen. So we go to him in humility, asking him to do the impossible because he still does. But trusting him to be God. But the, pity, the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Divided means to tear or split apart. It's the word schizo in uh, Greek. It's where we get our word schism. So they're divided against each other. Some people believed the gospel. Some people did not. Some people were siding with the, the gospel and the apostles hearing it and saying, yes, I need that forgiveness. Yes. I'm broken and sinful and lost. I'm dying. I, I found no other way to deal with this. And you're telling me there's forgiveness? I'm in. And there's others who heard that and thought, I'm good enough. And in fact, you can take that message somewhere else because you, how dare you tell me there's something I need to be forgiven of. 
Do we still have divisions today of the lost to the saved inside of the church? Let's read a few passages. Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed uh, good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. Sowed weeds among the, seed and went, uh, among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then, how then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them together into bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat to my barn. So Jesus is saying inside of his field, there, are going, there is wheat, right? True believing Christians. But Satan is also putting weeds among the wheat. Do you think Satan desires to put lost people in churches today? I think so. What better way to destroy a church's witness than to have somebody claiming to be a part of that church who looks nothing like Christ? What better way to hurt the people of the church than to have somebody that doesn't belong to Christ with them on a regular basis? Now, am I saying that we want to kick anybody out who's here to just uh, listen to the gospel? Absolutely not. But I'm saying we must be careful to make sure we're understanding who is influencing us and how we're influencing others. Let's keep reading. There's another division. Matthew 25, 31 through 32. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 